welcome to the show. That's the new introduction, Travis. I'm Martin. He's Travis. Hello, Travis. Hi. What show is it? I'm sorry. It's the show. Oh, that's right. Okay. The show. We we have rebranded the show to the show. <laughs> uh, I actually I did rebrand the show. It is no longer Aftershock Central Podcast. It is now just Aftershock Central. Because okay. if, if you're listening, you automatically know that it's a podcast. So why have podcasts in the name? So it's just AC? It's just AC. Like AC Slater? Like AC Slater. Like air conditioning? Yes, like air conditioning. Like alternating current? Oh my lord. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we need the P. <laughs> well, I also rebranded Valiant Central to just Valiant Central. There's no more P. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And see, with that one, I had to redo the logo and take the P out. Aftershock Central already didn't have the podcast section in it, so that was easy. Well, that sounds like a lot of work, my friends. Uh, it was definitely not a lot of work. <laughs> it was the opposite of that. Anyways, yes, yeah. welcome to Aftershock Central. I'm Martin, he's Travis. We have gathered this evening to discuss two books, Travis. Two books. Last week, we told people we were not recording this week, which makes us liars because we're recording, because there was only one book coming out, Dead Day, which makes us double liars because there were two books. We're liars, yeah, deal with it. Deal with it, we don't care. Surprise! <laughs> Guys, podcast drop. <laughs> so yes, we will be discussing Artemis and the Assassin number four and Dead Day number two. Okay, deal with it. If you if you have a problem with that, you can uh, you can tweet at Rumbar three sixteen and ask him why he's not on the show. Okay, all right, that's it. Let's let's get onto this book, Travis. Love you, Ronnie. Sounds good. Great. Artemis and the Assassin number four. Written by Stephanie Phillips, art by Francesca Fantini, colors by Lauren Affey, and letters by Troy Pateri. Uh, question for you, Travis. Yes. What happened to Megan? No, no Megan Hetrick in this book. What happened? Just oh, the first geez, three. I didn't realize. Ah, see. Yeah, no, uh, no Megan in this book. Was Was there a delay? I mean, it's been coming out monthly, right? Yeah, this has been coming out regularly. Hmm. Okay. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Megan gets busy, so maybe she just didn't have time for it. Yeah, I mean, I I honestly didn't, you know, I didn't really register that. So I I think they did a pretty good job finding something that was similar. Yes. And I thought the art looked good. Yeah, the art looks great. I mean, I think Francesca's done most of the interior art for this book anyway. So uh, that's probably why you really can't tell that there's not a second artist on this one. Um, but uh, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the book. Um, stuff happens. We learn more stuff. The end. Spoiler alert. <laughs> that's the greatest recap of a comic book of all time. Character does things. Plot advances. More questions arise. To be continued until next issue. Uh, no, I, I really like this issue a lot, actually. Uh, we get some stuff where, uh, where Isaac goes back to the past to, uh, to find that gunslinger. And, uh, 
I thought that was hilarious because like this mm-hmm. is what most people that could that would time travel would do, right? You'd go back in time to a place and just like instill yourself as a king or in this case a pharaoh in ancient Egypt. And uh, and I thought that was pretty cool. And then you know because these people don't have advanced technology, they also think that Isaac is some kind of god, so they call him Heka here. Which is uh, the Egyptian god of magic. So I thought that was uh, I thought that was pretty cool. I thought they were worshiping uh, like Old West dude as Heka. No, I think Heka is Isaac, and then Old West okay. dude is just like their king. Mm, okay, uh, agree to disagree. I I thought the implication was that that Isaac was saying, "Hey, pretty good for them to think that you're Heka," but eh, maybe either way. I mean, yeah, that's we're, we're splitting hairs. I think probably they would treat them both the same, you know? Yes. Yes. Uh, although, I mean, they do try to fight for their god, so, like, that's cool, right? Uh, obviously, they're no match for Isaac because he's been uh, practicing martial arts for thousands of years, it seems. Uh, okay, but he also got slashed, right? He did. So I think he's... I think he's impervious, you know, like he's got some kind of magical protection, probably from whatever the books, you know, from the books. Yes, yes. That's the, that's the like, important part. We'll, we'll get to that. But I assume that there is some kind of like Healy spell that, you know, like he's protected because they, you know, they slash his, his like vest and shirt open and there's blood, but then the wounds are gone. So I I think that's what's going on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so I mean you can imagine why I enjoy this issue, because there's a lot of like weird magic stuff, uh and ancient history stuff, which I love of course. And uh Of course. And I, I really I think there's some things that maybe will go over people's heads when they read this because it's not really explained in the book. It's just kind of like fun action stuff. Um, but the fact that uh, the Egyptians think of this guy as Heka and then the stuff with the books, in my mind, is is very closely related. Um, mm-hmm. As I mean, should we just talk about the books so I can explain? Yeah, this why point? not? Yeah, okay. So, so after we have Isaac fighting these Egyptian guards and kind of hiring – uh, Henderson, in a way, uh, into uh, this future timeline projection agency slash assassin agency. Uh, we, we cut back to the past-present, uh, to 1875, where, uh, where Maya is and Virginia. And they're being like held by the two assassins right that were sent back, the, uh, the military guy and the ninja. And they're getting ready to kill Virginia. Maya helps save Virginia. And they're like, what the hell? Like, we came to save you and you're kicking your ass. And Maya's like, give me your time-traveling gauntlets. We're out of here. And so they end up going to some other time New York City, uh, presumably still in the past. And, and we kind of get an idea of where Maya comes from. So she tells this whole story. Uh, about uh, this great war that happened uh, with the Mauryan Empire. And as a result of the war, the the Emperor Ashoka, uh, not to be confused with the Star Wars character, um, (laughs) 
decides to create like this group to uh, protect these like all all knowledge of the world basically. The nine. Yes. So he, this group is put in charge of creating a book for like each of the great subjects, right? So there's like one for math and one for science and one for philosophy or whatever. Um, so all the knowledge of the world of each of these topics is held in one of these nine books. And the reason he wants to do that is to prevent another war from happening and to like have a place of safekeeping for this knowledge. And, and as it turns out, like things go awry and the place that this group is living in protecting these books uh, gets flooded, presumably I would think by Isaac and he comes and rescues Maya and enlists her into his agency and Maya's like, yeah, you know, we've been doing this forever, blah, blah, blah. Because um, the group, the, the Nine, has become the agency that Isaac runs. And so uh, Virginia's like, hmm, that's kind of weird. You're supposed to be keeping these books to, like, you know, make the world a better place and prevent bad people from doing stuff. And yet you're trying to kill me, which means that my mission was successful, so I stopped the Nazis. If I'm not successful because you kill me, the Nazis don't stop. Sounds like a bad group. Is that a good recap of that? Yeah, I, I think that's pretty good. All right, so we have these nine books of all the knowledge of the world. And and this is part of the reason why I assumed that Isaac was being called Heka. Because in, in Egyptian magic, uh, I mean, you get this in the Bible too. You know, like God said the word, like, just says words and the world gets created. Uh, this is like basically the the gist of Egyptian magic, where like if you say certain words, like you combine certain letters and certain combinations, you have some kind of power over the world, and that's what magic is. And so by by having these books, you you technically possess all the magic that exists in the world. But the way we look at it, it's not magic, right? Because these are like sub, like subjects that are get taught in school, right? Math, science, philosophy, stuff like that. Um, so, uh, so I really like the connection between the two stories, but I really think that's not something that ninety nine percent of people will understand. Yeah, I mean, I think that there may be, you know certain subjects that are a little bit more exotic, you know, like, I don't know that math and geometry and, you know, whatever, like, I, 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 I think it seems to me like there are certain subjects in there that, that ha- hold more power than that, you know, like, uh, what's her name? Maya's talking about basically like maybe she got brought back from the dead by this knowledge, you know, like mm-hmm. we don't, we don't know for sure, but you know, if Isaac also can recover instantly from wounds, I think it would imply that, yeah, there, there is like some kind of knowledge that maybe is closer to Matt. You know, uh, I, I don't know what, what kind of world building they're, they're trying to do, you know like is it more of a thing you know the like advanced science is indistinguishable 
from magic like that idea like not not enough to go on in in this instance um yeah and i I don't think that we have enough time in this book to really deal with that anyway right because there's one issue left yes although it's said to be continued not to be concluded true but fine. usually it's five issues. Yeah, I, I'm assuming the next one's the last one. You're right. It could be more. Um, yeah, I mean, I I like that you said, because I was thinking the same thing of the, you know, any science advanced enough is indistinguishable from magic. And and the reason I like all these tie-ins to, to ancient stuff is because, like, there there are subsects of people that have this idea, uh, you know, like, all right, you're familiar with, like, ancient aliens, right? Yes. Okay. So I don't, I don't, I don't buy the ancient aliens thing, but I do think that maybe at some point civilization could have been more advanced than we believe, right? Like I'm not saying they had spaceships or whatever, um, but like you know maybe they had, I don't know. Anything I say will sound ridiculous. Uh, Time travel. Let's say let's say they had a steam engine, right? Because I mean like the first steam engine. In, in on record was created like 300 BC. Uh, granted, it didn't do much, right? Like it wasn't used for transportation, but it's not like it would be a giant leap to assume that maybe somebody else discovered how to make a steam engine at some point, right? Like it's extremely simple technology. Um, it's just a matter of making the leap to connecting. Well, you know, if I heat water up, it turns to steam. I can make this thing spin in circles. And turning that into like, oh, well, that means I can make a wheel spin in circles too. Um, so I think some of it touches a little bit on that. And and again, because like this is a fun action book, I feel like some of that stuff can't really be delved into in this book, right? Like if, if this was, uh, say, like Jonathan Hickman, right? I don't know if you're reading the X-Men stuff right now. Um, but like... The Hickman stuff that he's doing with X-Men right now, I'm surprised Marvel lets him do that. Like, it must just be because he's Hickman. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of, like, esoteric, magical, hermetic stuff in the X-Men books. But a lot of it just, like, goes by the wayside. And people are like, oh, is Hickman being Hickman? And, like, yes, that's true. But Hickman being Hickman is just like Morrison being Morrison. Where, like, he knows what he's writing – He's just writing it in a way where it's a little more accessible and can be turned into a comic. And and I think that's kind of what, uh, partially at least, what Stephanie's doing here as well. Where, like, she's playing around with these ideas, but also, like, hey, this is a comic book that people want to have fun reading, so I can't, like, get too deep into that stuff. It's always be a balance act as far as, you know, like... Oh, how much can we deviate from plots, you know, to, to get into themes, yeah, you know, yeah. like the, the, the more you lean on the themes, the less actually give to the plot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's like a magical balance that successful books can find where they manage to, you know, and I, you know, they, kind of take some some big step forward issue as far as trying to get into themes you know yeah like like 
a theme kind of emerged in book, which I don't know if you if it hit you as well, but I feel like they you know, kind of theme about knowledge being power. Mm-hmm, for sure. And Maya's whole basic two you know, knowledge against people who would use it for the wrong things, you know, um, which is, a you know, like, I, I think it's a compelling idea is like, is, is there a wrong application for knowledge? Is knowledge always good? Is there some kind of knowledge that is not good? You know, hmm. like, if nobody, for instance, figured out like you know nuclear fission and and you know applied it to a uh, a near bomb, you know like we probably would all be better off without that, right? Like if nobody figured out in, in this context, time travel seems like things would be a lot safer, you know, but. Like, I feel like, generally speaking, knowledge is often portrayed as being a good thing always. And it's just application that is bad. And how do you keep it from people who would use it for bad reasons? Yes, I agree. And, And, I mean, in essence, what this emperor creates is, like, a secret society, right? Uh, In this way, like, to preserve... I mean, basically scientific knowledge, right? Math, science, psychology, etc. Is, is what's mentioned. Um, but like, obviously, there's greater power to that. And and I, I've been actually going over this in my head for a while now, um, because I'm going to be talking about this in my other podcast, in my solo podcast. Um, mm-hmm. But about like this idea of of mystery religions or mystery societies, secret societies, and like what the purpose of keeping them secret and, and veiling this knowledge and symbols is. Um, Cause I, you know, I've kind of been of, of the mind that knowledge should always be freely available to anyone. Right. Uh, I mean, that's the reason we have the internet, right? Cause knowledge should be available for everybody. But like, is that really true? Cause I mean, you know, I remember in high school getting on AOL, right. And like, finding like the anarchist cookbook like is that a good thing for me to have where like i can learn how to make a bomb i mean you know maybe maybe not but the knowledge is there right and and it's like you said it's in how you use it and and it seems that isaac is using the knowledge of the nine in order to kind of serve a particular group's interests uh and not necessarily the greater good quote unquote uh, I mean, that's the assumption, at least. We don't know, right? Because uh, it, you know, if Virginia gets killed, then uh, by her logic, the Nazis win, right? And that would be a bad thing because the Nazis are bad people. Uh, but you know, it's there's always like a balance even within that. You know, you mentioned the atom bomb. Well, if we hadn't made the atom bomb, would we have just kind of like killed World War II on the spot like we did? Probably not, right? So there was some good. That came out of this tragic event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think there's a right answer, and I think probably you know, in theory, the idea would be that you know, even if specific knowledge were lost because it was too dangerous, mm-hmm. 
it could be rediscovered, you know, in, in the same way that it was discovered in the first place, you know? For sure. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I, I don't know quite what to do with it. I certainly do agree, it seems, Isaac is using knowledge he got to bad purposes. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure, but... Uh, um, I will say that I think there is a parallel also in Virginia's story where, like, she's got knowledge. Like, her knowledge is about this invasion. Right. And, you know, if if that knowledge gets lost, then, you know, it does history and, and kind of what we would agree is the ideal outcome. Yep. So I, I feel like that as a general theme really presented itself in this issue. It's just kind of the power of people who know a thing and what are they going to do with it? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my hot take on it. Uh, nope. I agree. I just have, I have wa- to, I, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I have a question for you. Yes. And it's something that's, that's been bugging me because I always forget the characters names in this, uh-huh. uh, comic. Yes. But, do you have a sense who or what is Artemis? Ah, I see. Right? Um, yes, because, I mean, technically, based on this relationship, you should assume that Virginia is Artemis, right? Because it's Artemis and the assassin. Yeah, okay. But, but Artemis was a goddess of, like, hunting. Yeah. And so that would make Maya Artemis. You would think, yeah. But she's also the assassin. Correct. So I don't know. I don't know yet. Like, maybe the organization is Artemis, but that's also the Nine. So I I don't know. Like, they've got to get to it, right? (laughs) (laughs) If If you're like, the end, and you're like, but what is Artemis, though? I mean, maybe uh, maybe Virginia's code name. Yeah, here we go. I found it. Oh, yeah. Ar- Artemis is her code name. Yeah, yeah. The Germans gave her the nickname Artemis, and the Gestapo uh, reportedly considered her the most dangerous of all Allied spies. Yep. So there, there you it go. Is. We answered her own question. Thanks, buddy. That that was bugging me a little bit. <laughs> You know, now that I say because, that, I, I somehow vaguely remember talking about that when we talked about it, uh, issue one. But maybe I, I'm mistaken. Every time I, I sit down and start taking notes, I'm like, I refer to Maya as Artemis. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to eventually be like, well, she's not Artemis. Right, That's, right. Yeah. Yep. Um, one thing that I want to toss by you, and then we can go ahead and write this one up. Uh I think this issue explained Maya's tattoos for me and where she gets this magical like bow and arrow from because I think it's pretty obvious from one of the panels here that she does some like super quick meditation, the tattoos light up and the the bow and arrows show up. So this kind of ties again to this whole theme of like words and magic where like maybe the tattoos themselves are like something that holds this knowledge of creating laser weapons out of nothing. I'd assume she had nanites or something. (laughs) 
I mean, that's I assume maybe it was like some mutant thing or whatever. But but looking at the history that she gave, where she came from, basically this place in India, um, I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Like that doesn't make sense that she would have these magical powers unless she gained them in the future. But when I started thinking about the whole thing of of magic and and using words for magic and and science and stuff like that, I was like, yeah, maybe like that's what it is. Like it still seems just like pure magic, right? But maybe at some point in the future we'll we'll discover some science that you could just like tattoo yourself and make stuff happen. I don't know. Uh, but I, I thought that was uh, that was cool when I saw it. I was like, ah, that maybe that's what that is. All right. Yeah. Let's, uh, I mean, I wonder if they're gonna get specific about what we were talking earlier with it, like whether it is magic. You know, are they saying magic maybe is real in this story or? If it's just some kind of advanced science or technology we don't understand. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe that would be touched upon. I mean, I could talk about that, but it would be super boring for you. So uh, we're not going to do that on this podcast. Let's. I write... mean, pe- people yeah. love magic, right? You love magic. Oh, I love magic. Yeah, I like magic. I also Magic's love fine. magic from the X-Men. She's fantastic. Best, best mutant of all time. No, Blink is a. No, I'm sorry. Listen, Blink. Blink used to be number three, and then Marvel ruined her, and now she's like top ten. I mean, but they're both teleporters. So what does that say? It says that magic is better. Mm. Hmm. Speaking of better, give me a score, Travis. Uh, let's go four point two five out of five. Great. I'm gonna go four point five out of five. I love this book. It's just so fast, man. I wish this was like 40 pages every time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like it's a very fast read. It is. I mean, I think that there's a lot of action. Yeah, and, for sure. And action reads fast, you yeah. know. So, you know, you got to slow it down every once in a while so that you can do your exposition stuff. And, and like, that's the meat of the story, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think that. We got more in this issue as far as themes and such than we had gotten in the previous issues. Yes. Yes. And speaking of meat, let's talk about Ooh. Dead Day number two. The king of the Segway. Is, is that is that too far a reach? I mean, that makes sense. Meat, zombies, eh, whatever. Uh, Dead Day number two, written by Ryan Parrott with art by Evgeny Bornyakov. Colors by Wancho. Letters by Charles Pritchett. Uh, it's been a while since we've had uh, issue one, no? How long has it been? Oh, man. Don't ask the the how long has it been question. <laughs> you know, that's I, I'm not equipped to deal with that. No, no had, fair enough. I would estimate two months. Uh, so I just checked... And we discussed this in episode 122, so that was at the end of June. Okay. So yeah, almost two months. So like a month and a half. Uh, yeah, which is actually not too bad. I mean, if the book came out at the end of June, like, eh, we're, what, halfway through August? That's all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, so yes, Dead Day number two, uh, I think a book that we we both really enjoyed the first issue. How did you enjoy this second issue? I, I mean, I thought it was good I, I thought they moved the the two storylines forward pretty effectively mm-hmm. you know like obviously we're getting a 
a clearer picture of what's going on with the the wife and mother and her ex. Yes. Which seems to be kind of, you know, a pretty straightforward revenge mission um, against, like, a dude I guess he sold some guns to and seems like he betrayed him and stole the money and... Oh, see, I thought... I thought it was his mechanic buddy. I think he's the mechanic. Maybe I maybe I misread it, but what's the dude's name? Jeremy? Like Jeremy. I thought that Jeremy was like mechanic guy and Billy is this guy who comes in is like I got this plan and I just need you to get me some guns, right? Uh, see, I read it the other way around. I read it that he's the one that had the plan, and then his buddy is the one that was going to uh, help him out, but then he backstabbed him. Uh, yeah, Billy is the mechanic. I'm looking at the page right now. Billy's the mechanic? Yep. Okay. So I so I had a reverse. So, so Jeremy's planning a, a heist, but he needs some, like sketchy guns and he gets them from billy or yeah right yeah it's, so. it's like the worst plan ever right because he's like you don't even your gun doesn't even have to be loaded like we just have to have guns to like scare these guys um basically they're gonna be they're gonna steal like a suitcase of money from some small-time gangster and like change their lives forever basically right like they'll split it in half uh billy will get money to go and open up his own uh, mechanic shop somewhere and then jeremy and mel i think is the the wife's name uh are gonna go live it up on the beach and just drink my ties for the rest of their life uh how they're gonna do that with 150k i don't know that doesn't seem like enough money but uh but maybe if you're just like living on a beach you don't need a whole lot of money i don't know exchange rate dude uh yeah that's right i forgot about the exchange rate uh you're right uh, and he does say where he wants to go. Oh, in Bali. I, I don't know. What's the exchange rate in Bali? Anyways, so uh, so I'm, what I don't remember, and I'm not going to go through this and see if I can find it, is that if there was a third person. In, there, there was not a third one. Yeah, no, it was just going to be them two. Um, so this guy, Billy, that in the flashback looks to be a, a, like a cool dude, uh, apparently backstabbed him. And stole the money, and either got Jeremy killed or killed him himself. I think that's kind of the part that's iffy for me right now, whether Jeremy was killed on purpose or not. Yeah, um, I mean he's certainly out for revenge, and that's kind of a shitty thing to do if it, if like you died by accident. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean either way, he st- something happened where he blames Billy, right? So in yeah. in his eyes. Whether it's accidental or not, like Billy caused this to happen, uh, which is fine. I uh, I really like the way this whole bar scene played out, though, mm-hmm. um, because like we didn't get a whole lot of like how the world reacts to people just coming back from the dead for no reason. Uh, I mean, like there was some stuff that was hinted at here or there, but it's just like it's so nonchalant at the bar, right? It's like, eh. Whether you're dead or not, we don't care. Just like have a good beer and don't get into bar fights. Um, and I like the the one guy, the the, the paper bag face guy, uh, where he's like, "Uh, oh, we should just pay whatever beer was 
worth when we died, right? Because he's he was he died in the in the fifties. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like whatever, fifteen cents for a pint of beer. And I just I like the whole interaction between just like how chill everyone is about you know people just coming in that are dead, and it's like it's like a zombie cheers basically. I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's like zombie cheers. That's gonna be the episode title. Where's my bill? Dang, I don't know where it went. Um, so yeah, I, I really like the bar scene a lot, and uh, I I'm curious why we haven't seen Jeremy's face, right? And and that gets mentioned many times in this issue, uh, both by Mel and then by I can't remember the bar owner, uh, Billy's mom that owns the bar. Haley. The Haley. There you go. She's like, uh, don't take that helmet off. So obviously, like he got tore up pretty bad yeah i mean or he's just decomposed right Uh, and like you know the other guy has a paper bag over his head so i mean he's been dead for what 60 years so (laughs) yeah yeah that's true i mean but but uh jeremy's been dead for 15 15 right yep yeah yeah i mean i guess even that's long enough um but I mean, we we've seen plenty of other undead people, and they they're not wearing masks or anything. Yeah. Um. But but I do kind of like the the twist of this. I think we talked about this with issue one, with like the the Mexican Day of the Dead, right? Um. Or even like our own Halloween tradition where you wear a mask. Uh. Basically, that comes from like you wear a mask on this day so that when when the spirits come back, they can't tell the difference between a live person and a spirit so they just leave you alone that's that's why you wear a mask on halloween mm-hmm. and uh and i thought i think it's cool the way that that's interpreted in this world it's uh it, it's really smartly done all the all the zombie tropes and the halloween tropes how they're they've changed in this world um all right give me something man i'm talking too much no you're, you're, i mean it's, it's great stuff dude uh okay what i would point out uh I think is um, the scene where the son is in the car with his, you know, buddy and his brother. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they run into this militia. Yeah, the lifers. Yeah. Who are like that's super creepy. Like I feel like. <laughs> I mean, like maybe like in another time and place that wouldn't have like it hits me. I think a little bit harder because you know i i feel like militias you know that are not like have no legal standing are kind of starting to pop out in certain instances you know so Hmm. like i i think that speaks to kind of like some of our modern experience you know um, so I, I know what you're saying, but I do wonder how much of that is true. Um, I think they've just kind of uh, gone to places that are uh, maybe more open to the idea, right? So, like, there's a ton of militias in, like, Montana, for example, and, and South Dakota, um, because those are places where there's large tracts of undeveloped land, and so they buy large places of land uh, to protect themselves, basically. Um, and, and the only reason I'm bringing this up is because I was just watching, I was watching something about, uh, what's his name? Timothy McVeigh, the, the Oklahoma City bombing guy. 
and and that led me down a rabbit hole of like the groups that he was involved with and and a lot of them were like in these areas um you know some obviously are just like batshit crazy basically right like the Aryan nation guys um but then some of them were just like offshoot cults of things uh, like there's a there was a cult that he was involved with that's like an offshoot of the Amish. Uh, really weird, I know. Uh, really? But like they were in this area, and and all these groups get along, even though like you know some are hardcore racist and some aren't. But they all get along by like their shared dislike of government, basically, and and that's why they end up going to these places that just have a lot of nature around them uh, because they can stay far away from that and feel like they're not being governed directly. Um, and also like kind of, you know, create their own communities. Uh, so, so I think these groups are always around. Um, I think just in, in the zeitgeist of popular culture, they emerge when things get a little bit crazy because when they get a little crazy, they want to make sure their voice is heard. Um, and so, you know, you might get some of these militia groups coming out. I'm trying to think. Um, actually, the Timothy McVeigh thing was a good example. Um, and I've been watching, oh, God, Waco. I don't know if you've ever seen that on, on Netflix. Um, but, like, the why the Waco people felt like they were in trouble was because of um, this family that got killed by the FBI in South Dakota. Uh, not too much time before Waco happened. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think that these groups are always around. And, I mean, dude, I live in the South. Let me tell you, we have uh, the local militia. They they meet up uh, <laughs> at, in this parking lot not too far from my house. Um, and, like, they don't do anything. They just, like, meet up with their AK-47s. And uh, I don't know what they do. They chat, I guess, maybe? Uh, but they just, like, chill in the parking lot with their AKs. Like, you know, every couple months they have a meeting. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of the same mentality. We're like, before we had militaries, there were just militias everywhere. And and there's still places in the country that have that uh, that mentality. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you with this long diversion, but uh, I just wanted to make that kind of clear. Because you, you, I don't think you see this kind of thing a lot of times in bigger cities either. Right. Usually it's more in rural places um, for some of the reasons that I mentioned. Uh, I did have a question about the lifers. These guys are not related to the group that they're going to see, though. Right. I can't remember the name of that group. No, they they're revivalists. That's right. They're they're revivalists. They're obviously different because I, I think the revivalists, you know, in the in the final scene, it seems like there are dead people that are there. You know, there's like people with veils on. Yes. So revivalists, I think, are all about it. I think there there's some indications that they maybe have something to do with how this all is happening. You know, I right. like that's that's wild speculation, but they seem to be as per issue one, the only people who really know what's going on. You know, like they mm-hmm. know when it's when dead day is actually going to happen. And, you know, that would imply that they're involved. Um, and, you know, I, I think they celebrate it, whereas like obviously this militia is like 
yeah, no, we're just going to kill all these, <laughs> you know, like undead people, which, you know, that's that's a whole other thing, which is, I mean, I, I don't know that there is like what we have to base arguments on uh, as far as, let's say, due process for dead people, <laughs> you know? Right. What rights do dead people have now in in this world where we're seeing, you know, like, I don't know. It, it seems like if the government has an agency to deal with them, that, you know, extrajudicial militias that just shoot them and burn them on a pyre, that doesn't really speak to what, you know, that's not consistent, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because that's how the issue starts, and we haven't talked about it. Um, I guess the this follows directly from the last page of, of the first issue. Because uh, I remember talking about these guys, are, like these soldiers are just like hanging out by the gates, waiting for these undead to come. And in this issue, we have Amber, this agent of, uh, oh God, what's the agency called? Uh, the Post-Life Affairs and this, no, hang on. Yeah, Bureau for Post-Life Affairs. Um, that's where we pick up because these are the un- this, this is the gate that we saw at the end of the first issue. Um, I mean, do that's kind of weird, right? Like this agency just like hangs out outside cemeteries on Dead Day, uh, like to register the activities of the undead. Yeah, I mean, there there's not a lot of context as for how they came into existence and why, you know? Yeah, but, like, my question is, why would the undead just, like, stop at this booth to register for for Dead Day? You know what I mean? Like, why not just go do your own thing? Uh, and, and, I mean, I would assume maybe some of these guys don't register, right? Like, my assumption is that Jeremy didn't register, right? Because I was going to say, uh, like, yeah, I'm here to kill this dude that killed me 15 years ago. Yeah, I mean... It, it kind of almost like the idea of like trying to to get information like almost feels a little bit like the organization from the Watchmen TV show. Oh yeah, you remember that? Where yeah, they're yeah. Like they're like, oh cool, like here's your people, you know, like I, you know, yeah, or like when Marvel did the uh, the Mutant Registration Act. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I maybe it, it was just a kind of a decision based on kind of um, you know expediency, like that. You know, it's like government bureaucracy to the rescue. You know, <laughs> like yes. oh, cool, thanks for coming back on Dead Day. Like, fill out this form and we'll get you. <laughs> Like, we'll get you your information in three to five dead days. Yep, yep, exactly, exactly. Well, and I mean, I think I think this whole, this page, this couple pages, imply that maybe the dead do have some kind of rights. Because, um, like, if they didn't, number one, what would she be there? Uh, and the other thing is, like, if would she say, if you could all make a line and provide me with a first and last name and social security number you might remember, uh, we'll get each and every one of you on your way. Uh, and she talks about like the, her purpose of being there is to reconnect them with friends and family. Um, so I mean, like, there's got to be a reason why this was created. Uh, and and my assumption is that maybe they do have some kind of rights. I don't know. 
I mean, I think it might also be, I remember they talked about this organization in the back matter in the first issue. Yes. And I feel like maybe it was opt in. So it's like, uh, yep. if you have, you know, if you lost somebody and you are interested in them contacting you, like opt in and we'll give them the info if they come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if 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 that is as I remember it, it might kind of be like, yeah, we don't want to be contacted. <laughs> like, <laughs> so if you know that might explain why Jeremy, you know, like is going about it this way. Is, right. You know, like Billy doesn't want to be contacted. Yeah, good point. Good point. Uh, what else you got on this one, man? Well, I mean, just on that one scene, kind of the idea that, uh, you know, the militia is talking about this is not God's plan. Ah. You know, I just thought that was interesting because if it's not God's plan, whose plan is it? And, <laughs> like, they're pulling a fast one by God? You know, like, how's that work? You know, like... I don't know. Jeremy talks in this issue about he knows what happens after you die. And, you know, I don't, like he's not specific. But yes, is, is is the implication there that it's not what what like some people would have you believe happens after you die or, you know. So the, the way he explains it seemed to me like at least where he has gone. And granted, like, this is the guy that was planning to rob a gangster, basically. Uh, so he's maybe not the best judge of character for what happens after you die. Um, but the way he explained it is, like, it's where he's where he's been is worse than hell. Yeah. So what that means, we don't know, because he's, he's, he doesn't explain it. Um, but, I mean, I'm sure everyone has an idea of what hell might be like, right? Uh, you, you sit there and burn an eternal fire, and and he's saying that it's worse than that. So it seems like it's pretty bad. Uh, now, does everyone have the same experience? We don't know because nobody else has said anything about it, right? Like he's the only dead person that we've talked to. Yeah. I mean, I just like – I think it's interesting the idea that like, you know, is this not all, you know, like, I don't know. If there is a god in this story, like this is not <laughs> sanctioned by him, it, like it's something else that is happening, you know? Like I I find that interesting. Yeah, 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 for sure. But also, I mean, it could just be more of a thematic thrust as far as like hey, check us out. We're a militia. We know what god's plan is, you know? Like yes. So it could be that just as easily. Yep. Very good. You want to rate this one up for me, Travis? Yeah. Uh, I'll go 4.5 out of 5. I will also go 4.5 out of 5. Uh, and I'm telling you, dude, like this issue, I think I mentioned this previously, but this gave me more of a leftovers vibe than the first issue did. And, and I know that I mentioned that I was getting that vibe from this cult or whatever, the revivalists. Um, but yeah, the way that this ended, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm loving it though. I like this a lot. Okay. What could I point out? Leftovers is a David Lindelof show, right? Correct. 
as is Watchmen. Ah. So. Very good. Good connection. Does that mean anything? I don't Probably know. Probably not. <laughs> Stay tuned. Uh, very good. Very good. All right. That's going to be it for us this week. Uh, we will not lie to you again and say that we'll be back next week because we don't know. Well, if there's an episode, then we're back next week. If not, we're back the week after. Just uh, it'll be like Christmas where you don't know what you're going to get unless you buy it for yourself like I do. <laughs> uh, you can happy find Christmas us. to me. Yeah, happy Christmas to me. Well, my wife and I have been doing that for, for years now. It's like, uh, just buy whatever you want and we'll wrap it up and put it on the tree. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, thank you for listening. You can, of course, find Travis at The Great Magnet on Twitter. I'm at Geekvine. The show is Aftershock Pod. Thank you for listening. And we'll catch you on the next one.